Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Live from MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Heck. I can never get enough of the iconic voice of Esther Lynn as she welcomes you to another live edition. Uh, Between the links here on MMAfighting.com. Hope you're all having a great week. Hope you enjoyed our live stream of the UFC Vegas 18 virtual media day, which caused an hour delay in starting this show. But uh, it's all good because we're here now and we have a lot to get to. As always, for those watching the program live with us right now, let us know what you think when it comes to these rounds you're about to watch, how you would score them. If you're scoring it one way or another, let us know in the chat if you're leaning in a certain direction. But let's get this party started as we have a great matchup for you this week between a couple of longtime MMA journalists, OGs, if you will. First, let us introduce the challenger, a man who was minding his own business a week ago at this time, and he was called out via social media by our champion. His reaction, he put it in the calendar as, quote, Morocco ass-whooping, I believe, and is ready to, quote, verbally cold cock our reigning champion. Happy to welcome longtime journalist, the editor-at-large for SureDog, Mr. Josh Gross. Josh, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm well. I said all of those things. That is true. I have no idea what we're doing, but I'm, I'm happy to join you guys. Thank you. Okay. Well, you're going to find out on the fly. And now introducing the reigning, <laughs> defending BTL champion, following not one, but two consecutive victories over Jed Mishu. Let us say hello to the deputy editor for MMAfighting.com, Mr. Steven Morocco. What's going on, champ? Happy to be here uh, now that I've put Jed Mashu in my rearview mirror, uh, ready to take on one of my all-time heroes in MMA journalism. He was a jerk asking all the good questions when I was first getting into the business. So now I'm happy to uh, send him packing with a loss in a game that he knows nothing about. It started off so friendly, but uh, but here we are in great BTL no, spirit. It's, uh, it's, it's all friendly. It's good. Good competition, me good. and Steven. All right, let's go. All right. Well, if you guys watched last week's show, which Josh obviously did not, we spent a lot of time <laughs> discussing the aftermath of UFC 257 and Dustin Poirier's big win over Conor McGregor, Michael Chandler's big win over Dan Hooker. And after lots of interviews between the two big winners, along with Justin Gaethje and Charles Oliveira, comments from McGregor, Habib Nurmagomedov is still the champion. It just doesn't seem like much has happened here. But Josh, I want to start with you this week from... Where we were on January 24th after UFC 257 to where we stand today on February 4th, do you feel like we have any clarity at all in the lightweight championship picture? Like, do we have even less clarity than we had a week and a half ago? 
I don't think we've had any fights since then. So no, we, there's no clarity. We need them to fight. So uh, matchups, you know, what direction is the division going to go? Is there a one a, I guess that's Dustin Poirier. Everything flows off of him. Right. I I think you could match it up a hundred different ways and uh, we got to come to a conclusion. So UFC doesn't uh, do tournaments, but, the, you know, it doesn't have, have to call it a tournament. Just let them fight, and we'll have the answer to that. If Khabib Nurmagomedov is not fighting anybody, then somebody else is number one right now. And I, I think it's unclear who that is. So, no, no, they, it's clearly not an answer question. Steve, what do you think? Because, again, we talked about this last week. We had certain ideas, maybe some expectations of where this would all go. And now that we've heard from some of the parties involved, I feel like we've perhaps gone backwards here. Do you feel the same way or do you feel like maybe there's a little more clarity than we had a week ago, considering what you heard and, and may have seen? No, you basically just have a guys, bunch of guys jockeying for position. You know, the UFC hasn't really indicated what it's going to do. And um, the thing is that it's not just having the guys fight. It's <laughs> the question we're all trying to answer right now is what promotional strategy is the UFC going to take? Is it going to be one based on competition and the sport, or is it going to be one based on what sells the most? And I think most of the debates we've been having around this question are about that difference because there are clearly a lot of matchups that sell a lot better and would entertain the fans, would be great business for the UFC, but may not be the best in terms of you know what's right for the sport, what, what should happen. Like Josh said, uh, Dustin is 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 the guy to beat. He's the one that should be fighting for the title. Will he fight for the title? It depends. It depends on the strategy that the or the the direction that the UFC wants to go. Historically, I think we can just the fact that we're that we're debating this kind of shows you that you know people are well acquainted with this issue. You know what the UFC is going to do in terms of you know cashing in immediately or doing something that's more oriented toward the sport, but. No, I mean, basically what we're seeing right now is a bunch of guys trying to jockey for position and waiting to see what their bosses say. Shed Mishu, it's disheartening that all the wins on Steven's record are against me. Uh, excellent comment from the former champion. But uh, Steven, I'll go, I want to go back to you. And speaking of Jed, you and Jed both gave your thoughts on what you would like to see happen here. And your idea was, let's do Chandler versus Oliveira. Winner gets Poirier for the belt. And that certainly seemed like a way to go. And the UFC reportedly liked that idea as well and wanted to make that fight happen next weekend at UFC 258. But as reports state, Oliveira turned that down. And now there's only a handful of people who actually know what happened to that situation. But let's say for like the sake of argument, that is what happened, Stephen. Like Oliveira turned this fight down. And sure, it was super short notice for both guys. And I don't blame Oliveira for saying no, but this would be the second time per reports and per Dana White prior to UFC 257 that Oliveira turned down a fight with Michael Chandler. So although he's a popular name, especially amongst the hardcore fans, do you feel like this sets Oliveira back in the pecking order since Dana always says, hey, when these opportunities come, when I knock on that door and pick up that phone, it's probably in your best interest to to answer and say yes. Yeah, it's never a good thing to not say yes when Dana White calls. I mean, we've seen that happen several times. And Oliveira's reasons for not wanting to do it are completely rational and completely logical. You know, not the least of which, he's got to cut weight and he's got to train for a guy who's willing to fight him on two weeks. Chandler's just coming off of a fight. You know, I mean, he's at a little he's a little bit more tuned up than than Oliveira. So it's completely understandable that Oliveira would want to say no. But 
unfortunately, he's been put in, a, in a, an impossible situation, you know, because if he says no, then he goes to the back or, or goes down the ladder. If he says yes, he makes a, 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 a maybe a necessarily unne- an unnecessary risk in terms of his career. Now, you know, what, what is MMA fighting? What is, what is UFC? It's, it's all about risk and the risks that you take. And we've seen a lot of risk takers, you know, get big rewards. So, you know, there's an argument to be made that if you're doing this and you believe you're the best in the world, you should fight at any time. But this is not, at this level of the game, when the margins are so thin as far as who wins and who loses, um, you got to look at it from, you know, Oliveira's perspective and say, look, you know, if I'm going to be at my best, I want to have the best training camp. I want to have notice. Um, And um, really, it just speaks more to the UFC's promotional strategy and their, their... unreasonable demands at times uh, that he's been put in this position in the first place. What do you think, Josh, where does Charles Oliveira stand now compared to where he did a week ago after reportedly turning down another fight with Michael Chandler? I know it's short notice. He wants to hold out for a title fight and I can understand his thinking, but did he almost in a way say no and talk himself out of any chance of fighting for the belt next? No, that would be really stupid. Uh, The UFC would be dumb to operate that way. That doesn't make sense he's a great fighter and that's not the right fight in this particular moment. So there's a shark tank right now. Khabib doesn't exist in this pool, right? So everybody is trying to get what they can get and he needs to do it the best way that serves him. And that's to be prepared to fight, not fight Mike Chandler on two weeks notice after Chandler had a huge training camp and an easy fight and is still in shape. That's stupid. So no, he shouldn't do that. I want to go to Steven's earlier point talking about sort of competition versus fights that, you know, in a sporting uh, sense are the way to go there are a bunch of fights that work on both ends. So you can do a lot of matchups right now that would draw people in interest wise and also serve the competitive interests of trying to, trying to crown a new champion. I see a ton of those kinds of fights in that division, that weight class, that's not an issue at 155. So I don't think Charles Oliveira or Mike Chandler or any of those fighters uh, have to sort of really jockey too hard. The UFC needs to make fights in this weight class. There are unanswered questions here. The results will speak for themselves. Uh, I'm I'm not worried. I, th- I think the UFC will will answer the question pretty shortly this year, and you know we're going to get some amazing fights out of this weight class. I agree. And w- another name has entered into the fray officially, and that is one Nathan Diaz because he's been on Twitter calling out Poirier. He was calling out the guys in the division before UFC 257, and he's made it clear he wants Dustin Poirier, but he wants to do it at 170 pounds, which could obviously put a wrench in some plans. So, Josh, let me ask you. Where does Nate Diaz fit in this conversation, in your opinion? Like, A, can he jump the queue altogether in the Poirier sweepstakes? Or B, can he possibly get this done for a fight at 170? Like, what kind of sense does that make? How much power do you think he has here? Yeah, look, I think Nate is a unique fighter in that he can kind of make the scenario that he wants. He's got that ability, that cachet, that carry with an audience, a bona fide pay-per-view star. There's not a lot of them. The UFC needs him. He needs them. So I expect the way he's talking to he'll fight at 170. He's in a lot of like training scenarios right now. He wants to fight. Um, you know, I would expect if the UFC needs a pay-per-view sometime in the spring, you know, he, he seems like he wants to be ready for that. And uh, he, he can make uh, a, a lot of fights. I, I think, you know, when he calls out Poirier, he's saying that he wants to fight a guy who just, who just whooped ass. That's what Nate says almost about everything. If you listen to him, he actually is pretty clear on what he believes and what he likes and what he hopes to do and why he does it. And 
you know, fighting a guy like Dustin Poirier answers the box for him, ticks all the, ticks all the things off a box. So if Dustin doesn't want to go to 55 from, from 55 to 70, no, no problem. Makes sense. But he, he wants to fight at 170. I, I think there are matchups for him. And the UFC certainly would be eager, I think, to, to want to promote his fights right now. To kind of build on that, Stephen, I mean, Nate, Nate Diaz has said for a minute now that he's done at 55. So when Dana White said before 257, hey, we got something exciting for the fans with Nate Diaz at 155, I was like, what? Because I, I thought he said, but, you know, but anyways, we, we know how this all works. But where does he fit into all this right now? Does he have that kind of leverage at this point to jump the line at 55 or maybe perhaps convince Poirier to, hey, we'll fight for the belt some other time. Come meet me at 170 and we'll fight there. I'm not going to pretend to know what Nate Diaz thinks or like <laughs> what motivates Nate Diaz. But in terms of where he fits, he's a bona fide star, despite not being a needle mover. Um, and whatever he wants to do uh, in, in terms of staying at 170, which is, by the way, not something new. Like Nate Diaz hasn't liked fighting at 155 since 2010. Um, the one time I managed to get through to him on the phone, he was basically declaring himself kind of done with 155 pounds because he was tired of being taken down by wrestlers and held for the entire time. So yes, he likes fighters who whoop ass, whoop ass, and Dustin Poirier certainly fits the bill. You know, Dustin Poirier, it's a decision based on Dustin Poirier It's or Conor McGregor. It's like, do you want to make a bunch of money? It's like, you fight Nate, Nate Diaz at 170, that's probably going to add some extra zeros to your bank balance. So do you want to take that sidestep, you know, put, put competition to the side for a little bit and make a bunch of money and in a fight that you're probably favored in because I think that Dustin Poirier probably has more ways to win and I would favor him in the, in the ranges uh, that uh, Nate Diaz is good at. Um, I, I think that Dustin, it's a very winnable fight for Dustin. Um, especially considering the activity that he's had and the schedule that he's had um, versus Nate Diaz. Although you could kind of make the other argument because Nate Diaz hasn't had enough, hasn't had a lot of road where maybe he's fresher. So I don't know. There's, there's, there's arguments to go either way, but um, Nate Diaz is his own orbit. And he's, it's really just a matter of like, do the opponents, are, are the opponents out there? Are they interested in, you know, fighting a fight that's going to have a lot of attention, make both fighters a lot of money put the other stuff to the side and then come back to that when whatever's happening at lightweight works itself out. All right. So Josh, last week on the program, predictions were made on where this could go. Okay. And a week later, we've seen these interviews, these reports, Conor McGregor has spoken, you know, he wants the trilogy with Dustin. Dustin seems to like that idea. A lot of people seem to think that the UFC is going to go back to this well between Dustin and Connor, even though Dustin just knocked him out in the second round, that this will be the lightweight title fight. So let's put a deadline July 1st on this. On July 1st of this year, will we have a new undisputed lightweight champion, in your opinion? And if so, who do you think the UFC will go to to compete for said title? If if undisputed means there's just like not also an interim title in that term and anything's possible, I guess. Yeah, the, there's going to be a UFC champion. Khabib is still walking this earth. We can't pretend he doesn't exist. So it's like, you know, he, he's still going to be looked at as the number one guy unless it's two or three years down the road. And he still hasn't fought as far as I'm concerned. Um, 
yes, there's going to be a UFC championship fight in that time. And it has to, uh, there's a ton of space, a ton of room on the calendar and I expect it to happen. Um, you know who it is exactly. I don't know uh, which direction it goes. It, 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 it could go a lot of different ways. You know, you, you could have a title eliminator in between and then plan for a championship fight on that July date. You know, I, I don't know. So, but I expect there to be, I also want to make a point about Nate Diaz one, like, you know, I don't presume to know what's in his mind. I've talked to him a lot. I've talked to people around him a lot. I've, I've, I've known them for a long time. The, the way that they speak sort of one-on-one and their, the, the whole idea of what Nate's about, like I've never seen any other thing, anything other than that reflected in interviews he's done statements he's made. So he's a pretty genuine guy in terms of showing who he is. I'm not presuming to know who he is. Also, he's the ultimate example of an entertainer slash competitor. He's the, he, 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 covers both of those and like that brings a lot of power he he uh he you put him in a fight against a high profile guy he wins immediately he sort of gets contender talk title talk he gets thrown into that mix if he doesn't win people still love watching him fight so you know those those kinds of fighters are rare nate Nate covers all those boxes and you know i i think he's not going to be fighting at 55 a lot of guys underneath him will and uh we will see a champion what do you think steven July 1st. I mean, because listen, Dana White said, we're, me and Habib are going to dinner back in Vegas, and he's going to make a decision. And if he says, none of these guys impress me, I'm not coming back. He said he doesn't want to hope the division. We're going to strip him of the title, or he'll vacate the title, and then we'll move on from there. Obviously, we have not seen any of that happen yet, even though the time has passed. So July 1st, will we have a new undisputed UFC champion? And if so, how does the UFC make this happen? Because you, you have to assume they got two guys in mind here. I don't know how they're going to do this in five months without having that in mind already. I mean, this is all just great uh, market research for them. And they do this a lot. They sort of see what the, what the fans are saying, see what's doing the best analytics uh, on, on, on social media, what's doing the best numbers. And a lot of times they make their decision based on that. First and foremost, they get their, uh, they, they find out whether or not they can do it physically, whether the fighters that they're interested in are, are are, are capable of doing it and where they're all the, the ducks line up in terms of finances and other stuff. If there are those considerations, but yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll make it happen. They, there's a, there's a tremendous amount of heat on it. One of the biggest selling points is who's going to take the crown next. So yeah, I, I definitely think it's, it's, it can happen by July. It may just be a question of, you know, the, 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 the finances, you know, if somebody starts getting wants a better deal or, you know, other other issues come up to, to complicate it. That's the only thing that I can see getting in the way. We could do a whole freaking show on the 155 pound division, but uh, we need to yeah, move ahead. It it is- sorry, sorry, Mike, that doesn't get in the way because there's a 10 other guys behind that fighter who's going to say yes. And they're all great. That doesn't that doesn't get in the way of a title fight. It just delays it, though. Given that we have five months and given the way that things go back and forth, it could delay it. Maybe, but I doubt it. I doubt it. (laughs) All right. Getting, getting, getting a little ferocious. I like it. A little back and forth of the show. (laughs) There we go. No, it probably won't be. We're just getting started here. It's uh, obviously 55 is a very interesting storyline and uh, we'll have to see how this plays out. There's really no good answer for this. They're all good answers. But the point for round one, based on what we've heard, goes to... Steven Morocco. He is on the board. Close round. 
Close round. I know how Jed feels. It's fixed. <laughs> there you go. Call it rigged when it goes your doesn't go your way. There you go. Yeah. All right. See if you The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. If, if you've seen the show, then you'll you'll know that it's not fixed and probably you're probably going to get on the board pretty soon. But let's head to tomorrow night, all right? Paige Van Zant is set to make her BKFC debut against Britton Hart in the main event of Knuckle Mania. Obviously, this was a massive signing for BKFC after Paige decided not to re-up with the UFC, and BKFC has invested a lot in her. So before we get into some of the other aspects of this fight and the event, Stephen, let me ask you, where would you rate your personal excitement level, maybe even better question, your personal intrigue level for Paige Van Zant's BKFC debut tomorrow night? You know, it's a, it's a UFC star kind of going and doing something new, uh, sort of the hot new thing in the sport. Um, so, yeah, I'm interested in it. Um, presents some interesting questions about how she adapts to the to the style and the range of uh, bare-knuckle boxing, just the way that things transpire in there, the, the movements, the angles, the footwork she's going to need to uh, sharpen up to have success in that medium. Um, but... Um, you know, I also think of the fact that she was in the UFC and she wasn't particularly known as being a knockout artist. She knocked out Beck Rawlings with that jumping switch kick with, uh, back in the day. Not particularly known as a knockout artist. So that, to me, uh, creates another level of intrigue in terms of, what well, you know, how is she going to actually, you know, contend with some of these ladies who've been doing this longer, have more experience, and are just game to give back as good as they get. So... I don't know. I'm probably a five or a six. Uh, it's it's interesting to me, but I have to cover this sport. It's like, what am I going to do otherwise? 
Josh Stevens at a five or a six. Okay. Where are you at right now? And, uh, you know, maybe you watched the face off about an hour or so ago. Things got a little intense between PVZ and Britain Hearts. Did that uh, increase your intrigue level for this fight tomorrow? It's a five out of 10, Stephen. Yeah, it's a, it's a five out of seven. No, it's a, <laughs> yeah, it's a five out of 10. Okay. Yeah, I'm, you know, honestly, until Mike, you asked me the question about this, I didn't know there was a bare knuckle event this weekend. <laughs> like, I, I don't, I don't care. So, like, uh, I appreciate that Paige Van Zandt is a fighter and she's doing this. She's getting paid. She was a fairly middle of the road fighter in the UFC. She wasn't that good. So, you know, this is, this is great for her that she can make a payday, but I, I it doesn't do anything for me. I don't um, disrespect fighters and any, you know, they, they are putting themselves online always. It's extremely dangerous and they're choosing to do it. I just choose not to watch. So um, it's not something that interests me. I don't see uh, a road in bare knuckle boxing to building a generation of young bare knuckle fighters who prove that, that they're, the, these are just fighters who are shop worn or okay, or with a name or something that can be marketed and sold to bare knuckle fighting and, that doesn't do much for me on the scale of Steven's entertainment for sport. To me, this is so far off away from sport that I can't even understand it and I'm not interested in it. So yeah, no, I'm a zero, but um, I, I get why people would, would be hyped for it, but I'm not. This is a great conversation to have with Josh Gross, because if you're going to talk to somebody about combat sports, you're talking to a person who is the purest of purists. Josh has always covered this sport as a real sport deserving uh, of the merits uh, of other, you know, real sports or, or mainstream sports. And to me, when I think when, when the two of us are talking about this, how many promotions or gimmicks have we seen come and go in the last, you know, 10, 20, you know, 15, 20 years, you know? How many uh, sideshows or roadshows have we seen promising X or promising Y off of a former fighter? You know, a guy who is a UFC, uh, 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 a guy or a gal who's a former UFC fighter sort of looking to trade off their name. It's, it's, it's the lifeblood of the, of the sport. And, and MMA uh, and, and combat sports needs whales. And BKFC is a whale. It comes in. It spends a bunch of money. It keeps fighters employed. It provides opportunities and maybe some highlight reels. It gets some publicity based off of that. Historically, there's not a lot of staying power in that, but it does provide a platform for these guys to, to ply their trade. And that's pretty much what it is. If you if you can see it through that lens, I think you'll enjoy yourself a lot more instead of being the big cranky pants that Josh Gross is. Well, hold on. I, there's, a reason, there's a reason I'm not into it, man. It's because a lot of these fighters are, are, have already taken a ton of damage in their career, and they're not in the UFC or other organizations because they can't compete on that level. They take too much damage. And so I'm not interested in seeing them take more than uh, what, I, you know, Chris Lieben, I get it. Okay. People want to see that guy fight bare knuckle. I mean, it's Chris Lieben, the crippler, right? But I think we've seen him take so much damage and the effect of that damage is not uh, unknown. We know that. I, I don't want to keep watching that if I don't need to. And I, I see no reason for me to watch it. So that's how I feel about it. All right. Fair enough. Uh, just to kind of continue on from like, a from like, yeah, from like a business sense, Josh, because just think, think about it. X's and O's like Britain Hart's heading into this fight. 
doesn't have the greatest record in the world. And this doesn't really matter to you, but What's her yeah, record? she's a girl. It's like four and four and two or something like that in boxing and bare knuckle. But this cool. is a, this is a woman who's paid her dues early in her, in her career. She was winless in like her first, you know, six or eight fights in boxing and then bare knuckle combined. And she fought Beck Rawlings, lost a split decision, but she's won her last top two combat sports matchups. She's finished both of them, but let's be honest, Josh, I think from a business sense, we're all aware that BKFC is trying to put Paige in the best position to win her first bare knuckle fight. So my question is, even though you don't necessarily care about the fight, but from a business perspective, does Paige need to go out there and dominate and completely destroy Britain Hart tomorrow? Or is her just getting there, getting in there, competing in a different sport, getting a close decision win? Is that enough here? And I'll take it even a step further. It's a fight and anything can happen in a fight. What if Paige Van Zant loses tomorrow night? Is it like catastrophic for her and for BKFC? Um, man, look, I think she's going out and putting herself out. She's a known personality more than just a fighter. So sure, going out and getting slaughtered in a bare knuckle fight is probably not going to be great for her brand in the long term. Um, I, I think uh, if you're talking about interest in, in, you know, yes, fighters get built and this is a new venue for her and fine. She's she's fighting someone. Look, Paige's record in MMA was what? It's close to 500, wasn't it? I don't you know, it's not in front of me. But um, so, you know, I, I, I don't. I don't have issue. I don't know enough about the uh, girl who she's fighting, the woman she's fighting, excuse me. And, uh, uh, you know, what kind of competition she is, generally speaking, uh, just a good showing. I think, I think the most important metric period with this is if people come and show up and watch, if people show up and watch, no matter what happens to Paige Van Zandt, they're going to show up and watch the next time, probably, you know? And so I think that's the, the most important factor here from a business sense and she's got an audience she can draw how much of that carries over. I don't know, but you know, that, that speaks to her and her draw alone. And that's, I think the thing that's most at stake in this fight, much less than bare knuckle fighting branded, whatever it's uh, it's more about Paige Van Zant's moment than anything else right now. What do you think, Steven? What, what does Paige have to do tomorrow in your opinion to she's built a ton of momentum already without even stepping in the ring what does she need to do tomorrow to sort of keep this train moving? Is it, is it just winning or, I mean, is it just so bad if she loses tomorrow night? Uh, she, like Josh said, she has built uh, a pretty strong platform independent of BKFC. That's why BKFC sought her out because they seek to leverage the platform that she has. And she's built by being a social media maven over the last several years um that's like josh said kind of more what she's known for she's had a couple of nice uh wins in the ufc but also like i said before she's not really known for being a knock knockout artist she's more of a grappler sort of an all-around kind of fighter so obviously she has to win it would be better if she did it in highlight real fashion and that way that she can you know they can splash it all they can splash those clips all over the internet and get the get the eyeballs that they need to continue building BKFC as a brand. I mean, this is something that BKFC has been trying to do since um, Lobov Malig, Malig, uh, Malignaggi. God damn it. I, totally I have to look it around. Do not, do not, <laughs> do not clip this. Do not clip this. I'm telling you, Casey, do not clip this. Malignaggi. 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 I'm a, I'm a fucking Malignaggi. Malignaggi. Oh my there you God. Go. Take away my Italian card. I took the I, I I shot myself in the foot there, and I, I take full responsibility. Anyways, uh, she she uh, has to win. Um, a lot of this, in my opinion, from what I've heard, 
this is make a bunch of money, um, keep your brand strong, and then move on to the next phase of your MMA career. If you had the chance to make a crap load of money doing bare knuckle boxing for a year or two, and then go back to Bellator or PFL or whatever is out there at the moment, um, you would do it. You'd be silly not to, especially, you know, where her career is at and her age um, and the options that are available to her. So um, she's got a, a multi-fight deal, so she's not going anywhere if she loses, but obviously it'd be better for her to win um, and it'd be better for BKFC's brand as well. As uh, we just saw in the comments, in addition to that <laughs> fight, we have Johnny Bedford versus Dat Win for the for a BKFC title. I believe it's a lightweight title, uh, as well as the final fight, as Josh mentioned, for uh, one Chris Lieben. He takes on Quinton Henry. Uh, Steve, Stephen, real quick on this before we move on to our next topic. Chris Lieben, I mean, what a super interesting career this man has had. Was on the first season of The Ultimate Fighter, won his first five UFC fights, and then he got thrown in with Anderson Silva. And then just look at his resume. He's fought Michael Bisbing. He's got a win over Vandalay Silva. He's fought a who's who during like a 23 fight stretch in the UFC. And this is also a guy who's had his ups and downs with, with substance abuse. He seems to be in a pretty good place now as he prepares for his final hurrah tomorrow night. So, Stephen, regardless of what happens at Knuckle Mania tomorrow night, what's, what will be Chris Lieben's legacy, in your opinion, in the combat sports world? Uh, I would like to use my time to actually just say Polly Malinaji's name over and over again. Polly Malinaji. Polly Polly Malinaji. Polly Malinaji. There. Okay. We're done. Thank you. All right. What, what was the question? Chris Lieben? Okay. So um, Chris Lieben, uh, you know, when, when Josh was talking about uh, the damage that he's taken throughout his career, I mean, look, I, I can't argue with that. Um, I'm the guy who just wrote about brain damage and um, certainly competing in combat sports longer uh, is not good for Chris Lieben's brain. Um, and I'm, I'm not a huge fan of it. I don't know how I'm going to stop it or how anyone would stop it. He's obviously an adult and he can make it his own decisions as far as moving forward. And then we can make the decision, as Josh said, whether we want to be a part of that or not. That being said, I don't think that what Chris Lieben does at BKFC defines his legacy. I mean, Chris Lieben is always going to be known as the crippler guy who had a rock of a chin and was able to take five to give you the one that puts you out. Chris Lieben will always have a part in mixed martial arts history, particularly as the member of the uh, Tough One cast. And um, I don't think what happens, I, I actually appreciate the fact that Chris is going above and beyond his legacy as a fighter to be a member of the combat sports community on the officiating side. How many times, how many fighters have complained about officiating and how terrible judges and referees are and have no interest in learning about it? I really appreciate the fact that he is, um, uh, he's a licensed referee in California um, and he's uh, improving those, that set of skills and wants to be a part of the, the sport in another capacity. What do you think, Josh? What do you think, like, 10 years from now, when someone comes to you and says, hey, Josh, you've been around for a long time. Tell me about the crippler Chris Lieben. Like, what's his legacy going to be? I mean, I knew you mentioned the damage and the killer be killed mentality he's had heading into fights. But is that his legacy? Just going in there, balls to the wall, whatever happens, happens. We're going to throw until one guy falls. Or do you see something else when you when you look back on on his career? 
Yeah. They already tell me I've been around for a long time. So that's, that's way, we're way past that point, but I, I'll tell you what, <laughs> uh, fortunately that's true. Cause I've gotten to see a lot of great fighters come up and, and seen their careers unfold. And Chris Lieben was one of them. Um, you know, he's, he's a guy who came from a camp, but was, uh, very unique in, in just the, the, the punching power. Like he had the, the stop you dead power. And, you know, that was something that, um, uh, it was a great uh, advantage of his, but it turned out to be in the end, you know, also a detriment because he always relied on that power and he tried to walk through everything just to get to that power. And, and he, you know, he'll pay a price for that. He's already paid a price for it. And to see him fight again is, is hard because it, you know, you, you know, all, all that we've seen already, I talked about it before. I don't need to talk about it again. Um, I, I think, that, you know, his legacy has, is not on the line or even discussed. It shouldn't even be discussed in this context with this fight. It has, his legacy has nothing to do with it. The legacy that, that sort of lingers here is the professional fighter legacy. You know, he is just another in a long line of professional fighters who fought way past the point of no return and was forced to because they didn't make enough uh, over the course of their careers. And so that's that's how I see it. it's another thing where it, it's sort of it's difficult. You, you want to support fighters, you know, you want them to be able to support themselves and make money. And, and you have to sort of participate in that. At the same time, it's hard to participate in something like uh, this for me, and, and I'm not just singling out Chris Lee, and I, I feel this way about a lot of fights. And so that's why in general, I have no uh, uh, very little interest in, in this kind of card. Um, but for Lieben, the legacy is ultimate fighter. Um, I, you know, I think his, his interaction, his what he gave to that show was a major reason why the ultimate fighter one was a success. Um, you know, there was a lot of fighters who contributed to that and played a part, but Lieben's role as a character on that show was super important for it to sort of connect with people, I think, and, and to see him then fight and people could follow him over the course of his career was major. Um, you know, I, I don't know that his legacy is written. I'm not sure where it'll end up. I think people have a lot of just concerns over it, um, but he's a, a, a memorable fighter to say the least. Uh, and he was uh, instrumental during a very, very important time during the UFC's history. And I think he's always tied to that. I would agree. I like I said, like I stated in the the original question. Whatever happens tomorrow night has nothing to do with his legacy. Like his like he's not like when he retires and picks like one Hall of Fame to go into or like what sport he's gonna like bronze his gloves in or lack thereof. He's it's an MMA. Like his legacy will always be tied to MMA. Like BKFC is just kind of like cherry on top of whatever Sunday he's made. But the ice cream and the whipped cream and the sprinkles, all that stuff. It's MMA. It's MMA. That's Chris Lieben is an MMA guy. That was an amazing euphemism for what this is. That was that was tremendous. <laughs> and it related to dessert, euphemism. which is why I like yeah. it. Yes. So eat your dessert and uh, thank Chris Lieben for that and, and thank my words. But hopefully, listen, classic killer be killed guy, like I said, unique personality. Seems in a great place physically. You know, he's changed his lifestyle around. He looks good. He's He's, he seems to be in a good place. So hopefully after tomorrow night, he can live the best life possible with his family and referee some fights and uh, we'll see what happens. So uh, we'll turn the page on this and on the program. The point for round two goes to. There's the drum roll. Got to give it to Josh Gross here. Got to give it to Josh Gross. Not just because of uh, the Polly Malinagi mispronunciation. That was, that that was, was enough bad. though. That was. Enough. That was Jed Mishu mistaking Nick Lentz for Darren Elkins bad. But uh, the, the purpose of this program is it doesn't matter if I agree or disagree with either of you guys. It's how you present your argument. And Josh, whether he's watching BKFC or not, made a compelling argument as to why he isn't watching it. So he gets the point. So Thank let us much. turn the 
You're very welcome, Josh. Uh, the UFC is back in Las Vegas for a long stretch. Begins this Saturday. UFC Vegas 18. The card has had some shuffle-ups, but as we record right now, the main dishes, back to food, so to speak, they're all intact. Notably, the main event between Alistair Overeem and Alexander Volkov. Intriguing heavyweight matchup, Josh. We have Volkov, who looked great in his last fight against Walt Harris, taking on the Reem, who is on his final run, finishing his last two fights, winner of four of his last five, with the loss coming at the very last second to Jarzinho Rosenstrike. So I'm curious, when you look at this fight on paper, Josh, what is at stake here in this heavyweight matchup top in the card? Um, well, for Volkov, it's just to continue momentum in this weight class and give the UFC a reason to book him for better fights. You know, a, a win over Alistair over him in this spot will do that. For Alistair, I think he's been really clear, right? So this is his last run, as you mentioned, last chance to get that UFC belt. He's held a lot of titles in his career. He's held a lot of really prestigious titles in his career. Never the UFC title. He, he had an opportunity, fell short. You know, this is now a chance and he sees it. And I like how he talks about this. You know, Alistair has had longevity because he took care of himself. He's incredibly talented, unbelievable athlete. And he's done things late into his career that I thought, you know, having watched him up close to the very early stages of his career, having been, a, you know, in Holland to see him fight live and too hot to handle when he was just sort of figuring the stuff out. Um, he, he is a guy who I think has always been focused on fighting being his best and winning. And that's brought him a lot way, a long way. Um, I, I actually think he's going to win this fight. I don't think Alistair Overeem is going to go out losing to, to Volkov. Um, I, I think he's got more to say this year. So I like Alistair in this fight. That's There's a lot on the line, I guess, if uh, you're talking about both of them that way. Our first too hot to handle reference on between the links. I love it. So I, with Josh is here, I'm very excited. Stephen, what do you think? Like, obviously, the, the, you know the, the the win and the record and getting the extra money and such, to, for, especially for Volkov's sake, that's on the line. But when you look at like the heavyweight division as a whole, which is obviously very interesting right now, got some unanswered questions. What is at stake between Overeem and Volkov on Saturday? Um, I don't disagree with what Josh is saying. I mean, in terms of the stakes for the individual fighters, I mean, you have Miocic versus Nganu 2 happening later. Um, and there's a question of whether Stipe will be around um, long term. And obviously, the, the, the longer he goes, the more uh, miles he racks up. Um, I would think that it would be be, uh, be a more attractive opponent uh, for, for contenders who are looking to get up uh, to the title. Um, as far as uh, uh, Overeem and Volkov, I mean, they can pretty much slot themselves in. You got Blades and Lewis happening, um, but then, and then you got Gagne and Rosenstruck. Um, Overeem has the name uh, appeal and the resume uh, where you can just you can put him in, you can make a good argument at pretty much any point to give him the the heavyweight title shot. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that it's 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 certainly Overeem's fight to lose if he plays it the way that I that he's been approaching a lot of his later career fights, um, making sure that he doesn't get into extended firefights, using his grappling, using his ground and pound, using his ring IQ to outsmart opponents um, and to minimize the very obvious, obvious deficit of his chin. Um, 
I think that uh, he can he can definitely uh, take this and get in that you know position to where he wants to be, uh, picking up that one last uh, major title and perhaps you know the, the most significant title of his long long MMA career uh, in the UFC belt. Heavyweight is is always so fascinating because you could lose a fight and then win like two or three more and you're like right back in the mix. And I know Stephen, you're not. You said it last week. You are not a pro wrestling guy at all, and I don't think Overeem has said these exact words for sure. But he's kind of positioned himself as like the end of the run Ric Flair, where he was going to keep on wrestling whoever until he lost, and then once he lost, he was done, no matter what, which he did to Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania. I know you don't care about any of this. This is obviously non-scripted stuff, but do you feel? that Overeem is in that position with what he's trying to achieve. And that's another shot at the heavyweight title. So I'm curious, like, is this more than just a fight for Overeem? Like if he wins, his goal stays intact in this final run. But do you feel like he's going to keep fighting until he loses one more? Or do you think he keeps going? It, it just depends. You know, he, he, he can't take too many more of those brutal knockouts. I mean, but that, that's just me talking. That's me, the outsider talking. It could be that he, he just presses on as long as the UFC continues to give him fights. That seems like something that could definitely happen. He seems committed enough to where, and like you said before, I mean, the heavyweight division has just always been so thin. He's always kind of like in that picture, you know, he's always a guy uh, that, that has, like I said before, the, the resume that you can give him a couple wins or get him a couple wins and he gets right into the, the title picture. Um, I would hope that he wouldn't continue on um, if he had really severe outcomes like we've seen in the past. Um, but yeah, I, I, I believe him when he's, I, I believe that characterization that he could just keep going on until they, until they won't give him any more fights or he wins the belt. What do you think, Josh? Do you think it's like, win or go home for Overeem? Do have we got to that point? Like, I know if he gets knocked out brutally, that's, that's one thing, but let's just say like Volkov goes in on Saturday and like 50, 45s him or 49, 46 is him. Is that enough for Overeem to be like, listen, I, I made this final run. It's been a hell of a career. Yeah. I'm out. Or do you think he would come back and keep going? That's a real difficult one. It's almost imagine if he got shut out on the scorecards in five rounds, like he would almost feel it, it, it made more sense to retire than if he got, you know, just, you know, ver verbally cold cocked, except in a real way, you know, and, and he went down. And so um, that's a difficult thing. Alistair is, uh, like I said, he's treated his career uh, with uh, purposeful intentions the entire time. He's had game plans. He's had uh, he's mapped out his career in a lot of ways. I'm sure he has a sense of what he wants to do. Um, but you know, life, uh, sometimes doesn't work out like you think it will. An outcome could change his mind. Who knows what it'll be. I, I again, I, I think, uh, I think he'll win this fight and I think it'll continue, but if he does lose and loses badly or, or just doesn't show up, can't compete, I wouldn't be surprised. Alistair's a, a pretty smart guy and I wouldn't be surprised if he was willing and he worked it out and said, you know, I, I probably, this is it. I'm done. If he's being genuine and honest about the run being the reason why He's here and he's focused and he's he's ready because if you can't beat Volkov, you can't go on a run to the UFC title. And that's just that doesn't the math doesn't work. So we'll see about how he comes down on in the end. I I, I think uh, I, I, I don't think he'll have to make that decision, but we'll we'll see what happens. Fair enough. I, in, in my opinion, and I love Alistair Overeem and like seeing him in these main event spots, but 
if you look at the entire card as a whole, that heavyweight fight is like the third or fourth most intriguing fight on this entire card. So I'm curious, yeah, Josh, okay. what you think of the card in its entirety? Yeah. Because, I mean, co-made event, obviously, you got Sanhagen versus Frankie Edgar. Huge fight at 35. We have the UFC debut, finally, of Manel Cape, former Ryzen Bantamweight champion. is coming off the longest layoff of his career, taking on Alexander Pantoja. And then we have this fight at 155 that is completely flying under the radar that could potentially shake things up a bit based on our first conversation between Diego Fajeda and Benil Darrier. So what do you think of this card as a whole for their return to Vegas? Fantastic card. I mean, this is this is a card without a huge headliner of a pay-per-view. It would be the massive biggest, one of the biggest pay-per-views of the year for the UFC. That's the kind of lineup of fights I feel looking at the lineup top to bottom and the fights you mentioned. Um, competitively brilliant. I think a lot of uh, smart matchups stylistically and uh, just deep from top to bottom. It's a, it's a fight that Fight card that feels like you have to sort of tune in from almost the very beginning to watch. Or you may miss something really good. I'm all about that Pantoja Cape fight. I, I think uh, um, that's the one that sort of I've zeroed in on is like, I have to watch that fight live. I'm going to watch all the fights live, but that's the one I felt like, wow, I really sort of have to be there for that. I look forward to it. Other fights too to be excited about. No question about it. You mentioned them, but that, that was the one I sort of zeroed in on right away. I was like, everything about that fight I love. I can't wait to see that. What do you think, Stephen? Top to bottom, I mean, you'll be watching from start to finish. What do you think of the the card in its entirety? It's good. It's a lot of seasoned vets going up against new prospects. And then, you know, you got the Johnson Guida fight, which is just like the old timers fight. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, it's a good card. It's a good TV card. Um, I don't know if it's a pay per view, um, but it's. You know, definitely like an ESPN. It probably deserves to be on ESPN or maybe even ABC, you know. Um, I like that main event. Uh, Frankie Edgar, man, he just keeps going. And uh, now that he's an established bantamweight, you know, we'll see if he can get in the mix at 135. Corey hanging out his setback um, and, you know, was looking amazing before that. So this is a great test for him to see that, you know, if he can actually make a, a title run uh, again at 135 and Manel uh, just knocked out well not just he's had a hell of a time getting a UFC fight um, but knocked out Kai who just got stopped by Kyoji um, you know it's it, we don't we get these every once in a while where big prospects uh, from outside organizations get to come in and we get to see uh, what they do um, in the UFC. And that's really exciting to uh, people like us who watch all the developments in the UFC and, and other promotions. And we want to see how they fare uh, inside the octagon uh, amongst the best in the world. So um, I don't know about the, the CDF versus Dariush fight in terms of its relevance to lightweight. They're, lightweight, as we've just, just spent so much time discussing, has so much going on. Um, I think a lot of those guys like Dariush and Fajera, great fighters, have a lot longer road to walk than uh, fighters of a previous generation um, when there wasn't so much talent at 155. Um, a lot of fighters that are very talented struggle mightily to get uh, fighters in the, in the top 15 to sign on, to, to, sign on to, to fight them because there's just so much for these guys to lose uh, when, once they get at the top. They don't, they don't want to lose their spot. So... You know, that being said, if one of them delivers a highlight real victory and either one could based on previous performances, you know, sure, you could see somebody 
you, you could see one of them in being in the conversation in the next year or two. So yeah, I mean, overall, I think it's a solid card. Last thing on this, because for those who watch the show, you know, when we preview cards, we like to dig a little deeper and we mentioned some of the under the radar fights like Cape and Pantoja. I know Josh has circled on, in on that one. I think Fajera and Darius has been wildly, you know, under promoted. I think that's such a fascinating fight. It's the main card opener. It's a, just a huge, it's a great fight. Six fight winning streak for Fajera, five fight winning streak for Darius, who's kind of kind of be the next guy that's going to be knocking on that door. But let me start with you, Steven. Outside of what we've already discussed, and I know you mentioned Guida and Johnson, that's an interesting fight. What's sort of your deeper cut fight or storyline that you're watching heading into Saturday? I really have not thought about this. Um, my deep cut. I don't know. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I do want to see how Mike Rodriguez bounces back uh, after the Ed Herman fight. Uh, I thought he looked fantastic uh, in, in that fight. Um, I don't know a whole lot about Daniil Marquez, um, but that's kind of one. Timur Valiev, uh, that's that's one that I'm interested in. Um, he had that, that crazy, crazy fight with uh, Trevin Jones, and then he basically won six before that. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't have great answers here. <laughs> this is, hey, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, the, the, the Cape thing, like I said before, is kind of like my, you know, insider's perspective because, like I said, I have been following his career outside of the octagon. So he's kind of my deep cut. He would be a deep cut by by the mere fact that, that he hasn't fought in the UFC before. He's been fighting on the international stage. And a lot of people who watch the UFC don't watch other uh, other promotions. So that's kind of the answer. But I already spoke about that. So, eh. You get a deep cut for us, Josh? Uh, I did like that Timor Valiev fight. I was going to settle with Steven. This is a tough question. I would I would have had a tough time on too if you threw it to me first. So I'd take it easy on Steven maybe on this one. But um, I feel like there are interesting fights in the prelim portion. Nothing that really jumped out to me is, is something that I felt like, hmm, I, I really, really sort of had a lock in on. Uh, I did like uh, Valiev's UFC debut, fell short, but uh, – no contest now. And so let's see how he can sort of regroup. I'm interested in that, but I, there's enough depth uh, across the card. A lot of ways that I don't, I'm not too worried about deep cuts. I think there's a lot of really um, prime grade a stuff here that we can sort of bite into if I can play this metaphor out and not look too stupid. So that's, um, that's my, that's my sense of, uh, of the rest of this card. I, I do, I do like it. It's talked about. And Steven, I just did say that, it's a pay-per-view card if you throw a headliner on top of it. If you get uh, Alistair Overeem against Alexander Volkov as the co-main event of a pay-per-view in the rest of this lineup, I think that's a very suitable pay-per-view lineup. You just need that um, you know, marquee choice. That's what I was saying about that. Well, I apologize. I wasn't listening to you. Fair enough. <laughs> oh, man. Well, it should be a fun card on Saturday. Also, the, the return of Devontae Smith coming up on Saturday. Uh, against Justin James. That should be a lot of fun. First fight for Devontae Smith since August of 2019. That crazy loss to Kama Worthy and everything he's gone through. So excited to see uh, how he looks in his return after uh, that gnarly Achilles injury that he had. But the prelims started 5 Eastern, early start time, digging that. Main card 8 Eastern on ESPN+. Plus. We'll see what happens with that card. But the point for round three, heading into the final question of regulation, goes to... The challenger, Josh Gross. 
up two to one. All right. As we <laughs> um, overjoyed, we as you our, can see. <laughs> yes, I could. I could tell. I could tell. But I have a fire you up. It's not, it's not. It's not over yet. Yes. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Final topic of regulation. Let us talk about MMA's favorite person and personality, Stephen A. Smith, who was recently on Larry Wilmore's Black on the Air podcast and was asked about Women making big moves in the sports world, most notably in executive roles, even coaching roles like Becky Hammond for the San Antonio Spurs because Greg Popovich got ejected from a game. She stepped in and was the head coach in his absence. So Steven starts off by saying that, listen, this is great. Love that women are getting this kind of notoriety in sports before saying what he doesn't want to see is a woman fighting a man in boxing or MMA. So, so far, so good for Stephen A. Then he says, I just got to pull this up real quick. Uh, There it is. When I think about pugilistic sports, I don't like to see women involved in that at all. I just don't like it. I wouldn't pass. I wouldn't promote legislating laws to prohibit them from doing so. But I don't want to see women punching each other in the face. I don't want to see women fighting in the octagon and stuff like that. That's just me. So, Stephen, we will begin with you. Stephen on Stephen here. Stephen on Stephen action. This thing took off like crazy when we posted it on the website. Many fighters, fans, etc., have chastised Stephen A. ever since those comments were dropped. Before we dig in a little more, what did you personally make of his comments? Oy vey. Um, I'll start with that. Um, uh, unfortunately, the nature of the beast in this sport is that a lot of co- uh, a lot of stories involving racism, sexism get a lot of attention, not only because of people who disagree with uh, Stephen A., but people who agree with him. That's an unfortunate um, thing about covering mixed martial arts. There are a lot of people who have these uh, juvenile, well, look, it's my personal opinion that it's it's an outdated, outdated and incorrect um, take. It is his take, it is his opinion, um, but the, the main thing that I was thinking about in the moment was the fact that the UFC didn't say anything. Um, I don't know. I just think, I, I feel like there's, there, there's, there, there are easy layups here. You know, there are easy, easy layups to say, you know, we disapprove of this. We don't like this. Or, you know, we, we don't condone this. Stephen A is not on, uh, the ESPN, uh, the, he's not on the UFC's platform often, but he's kind of associated with them every once in a while. Um, and yeah, I I just think that in general, uh, a lot of the things he says, they're his opinion, but it's, it's, it's like, if you're going to have a guy at the top level of the sport, if you're going to, if you're going to have a guy on that kind of platform with that kind of attitude, is that the image and the, 
message that you want to send out to all of your prospective viewers. Um, so I just thought it was kind of more of the same. Like this is what he does. This is a stock and trade. This is what he, um, it's like the other guy, um, who I'm forgetting, um, whose, whose stock and trade is just outrage, uh, and to cultivate outrage and there for no other reason there than to get people going. Um, and I think it's unfortunate that that's kind of where we're at, but in this, the society that we're in where everything's about eyeballs and catch, capturing attention, you're going to have guys, guys like him, um, who are there to, uh, fulfill that need, so to speak. What did you think, Josh, of Stephen A's comments? Um, well, I had a couple of thoughts. First, I want to say, Stephen, I don't think the UFC should go about making a statement about a reporter's opinion, no matter how stupid the opinion is. Reporter? Uh, <laughs> what's that? Reporter? You call Stephen yeah, he a reporter? reporter? He reports stuff, too. He's on an on-air ESPN journalist. So, yeah, I think, you know, he that's the line that he walks. He's also an opinion monger and he, he's a pundit. I mean, he, he wears a lot of hats, but I don't think the UFC should go about saying, Hey, we disagree with this. And that, so what? That's, that's not, if you want to take issue with Stephen A on here, take, this is how I take issue with you. One, I don't, I don't really care what his opinion is. Um, I just don't like, it doesn't, that's his opinion. He, you know, so he throws it out there. He gets paid. People get outraged that they choose not to. In this case, it's just such a invalid opinion and statement that it means nothing. Um, and here's why it means nothing. And it doesn't make sense for Stephen A. Smith to believe this. This is why it's really ridiculous that I think that Stephen A. Smith, uh, someone like him, who I know and I work with at ESPN and I was in the hallways with and I said hello to and I had conversations with, why well, I think it's fairly ridiculous. OK, so from a sporting context, women in combat sports, and I'm going to speak specifically to mixed martial arts, are every bit as good, every bit as entertaining, every bit of draw, every bit amazing as their male counterparts. And by dismissing what they're doing, you are outright making a statement about yourself and what matters to you and have nothing to do with what they're doing, because what they're doing is amazing. And so your commentary doesn't mean anything. You're just exposing yourself. If you enjoy sports and competition and who the best in the world are and you see nothing in female mixed martial arts that draws you in that way, then you're blind. You're blind to it. And, and it's really wild. I don't I don't get the point that he was trying to make. I don't understand the point that he's trying to make uh, other than saying what his values are. And, and if that's what he was saying, then, then so be it. He's, he's letting us know. But as far as any kind of statement or retribution or what this means about women's mixed martial arts, nothing. It's a bunch of bullshit. It doesn't mean anything. We can move on to the next thing. That's that's how I read this plain and simple. Let me let me get your take on this, Josh, because I've had people reach out to me, some friends of mine who are like kind of tied to the space. They're casual fans. And they've hit me up on text, some on DMs, and they basically said, like, dude, why is everybody overreacting to what Stephen A has said? Because, you know, they thought he was talking personal preference and didn't say things such as, like, you know, I don't want to see women fighting. They suck. They're not athletes, et cetera. He didn't say anything like that. My mm -hmm. take on the whole thing sort to sort of negate that argument was, well, you're not wrong. But let's take a look at it as a whole, like go back and listen to that entire interview, because I listened to that question asked from Larry Wilbur and he didn't say, hey, Stephen, what's your opinion on women's MMA and combat sports? OK, it was like, what is your take on women making strong moves in the executive offices and on the coaching benches, et cetera? And Stephen decided to go that route own, right? on his own up. without being yeah. asked. 
why would he do that? Like, is this, as some people are saying, like Stephen A saying, I know what's going to get my name out there. I, I'll talk about MMA and combat sports because I know everyone in the space is going to write about it and my name will be in the headlines for a, for a damn week. I can't say why he said it. I don't, I don't know. I mean, if I, if I would have to see, he's a very thorough person. He says what he it's in his head and he, he gets it out and he's very clear in his words. So why, why, why would he say that? You know, you said it previously, he was talking about women executives and, and their role and sort of women coaches on the field. What was his opinion on that? What, what did he say about that? He just said, that's great. I hope to see more of this. But my one point of contention is I don't want to see right. women so, fight men in a boxing ring. Here's my point. So for a guy like Stephen A, he's almost got to have a counterpoint. You know, sometimes he's very clear, but sometimes he draws a counterpoint just to sort of cover his bases and express himself fully. And that may have been the case here. And it's his personal preference not to like women's combat sports. So what? That's my whole point. So what? That's his personal preference. Like, who cares what he has to say on it? doesn't matter. It's never going to stop me or millions of people from watching it because it's amazing. He's missing out. And that's he's missing out from a sports perspective. And that was my point, that he's losing by thinking that way. And it doesn't make sense. If you love sports and you love com competition and you love the best, like you're missing out on a lot of it if you're not acknowledging uh, women's mixed martial arts UFC women, like you're, you're losing out, buddy. It's, there's no question about it. And so that's where I, he loses me. I don't, I don't get it. I don't, I don't get the counterpoint, what the point of it was, but you know, he made the statement. And so people want to talk about it for me. I'm like, I'm, I'm talking about it for the first time. I didn't tweet about it. I retweeted a, a, from Laura Sanka who made a comment who was like, I want to say a lot of things, but I didn't. That's the only acknowledgement I made of this until you asked me the question. Cause I didn't think it's worth discussing. So that, that's generally how I, how I see this kind of stuff. Well, I appreciate you uh, talking about it on on this program, Josh. It means a lot. Uh, yeah, what do you think, so Stephen? Like, I mean, people people actually texting me saying, "Like, dude, people are overreacting to this." Like, MMA do you feel fans, that way? Do you think some people are overreacting? MMA fans are an aggrieved bunch, and we've been that way for a long time. MMA fans, MMA journalists. It's also a way for MMA websites such as our own, to get a fair amount of clicks and a fair amount of attention. Um, but in general, um, we have been the underdog for a long time. We meaning the MMA community. And any attack at MMA is an attack upon all of us in many of these circumstances. Um, so when you make a comment about a sport at large or a part of a sport at large, you're attacking us. You're attacking MMA, and we, you know, wave our pitchforks in the air and and make a lot of hay out of it. And all the MMA websites that pay attention to that pick that up and capitalize off of it. So I, I attributed a lot of stuff to Stephen just now in terms of like what he was doing, but I don't really know. It might have just been uh, an aside uh, uh, that, like Josh said revealed personal preference. It may not have been a direct effort to piss everybody off. It may have been he overshared. That happens, you know? And like Josh said, you kind of reveal who you are and um, you you can make that choice, you know? You can make that choice to say, I, I don't want to watch this. That's, that's, that's on you. But, you know, given his platform and given who he is, he should know that he's 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 touching a third rail 
and that it's probably he's the highest paid employee at ESPN to do exactly that. That's what he does. What's You're absolutely the, right. I mean, that's so I, I have no talking? argument. I have no argument against that. That's his thing. I don't yeah. know whether I don't know whether that that qualifier, like you said, or the or the counterpoint was specifically aimed at riling up uh, uh, fans of women's MMA. It, it doesn't really matter. It it did that. You know, it 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 got people outraged, and so. Um, yeah, it's Let's talk about whether they should be outraged or not. This is not something you need to be outraged about. It's not. It not it, well, it, it means nothing. Well, he's he's a, first of all, hold on. He's a, he's a he's an employee of ESPN, but he's a journalist, right? He's a journalist. Stephen A. Smith is. I a don't journalist. call him a journalist. I do not. I I don't call I, him. A journalist. He, he is a journalist. Never. I know for a fact he's, he's been a journalist his entire career. He's a journalist. He he, he still maintains that journalism. That way, but he's not he that now. Different hat. I mean, he's, I don't. He want, may have like, started out that way, but he ain't that now, in my opinion. Yeah, but in his capacity, in his comments, and in the way that you're viewing him, he is a figurehead of, of what a personality at ESPN, if you want to call him a personality at ESPN, okay? The large personality, fair enough, who sometimes comments on mixed martial arts in the UFC business, sometimes is on the broadcast as we've seen. I, I, I've, I've been with Stephen A. Smith in a locker room at UFC in Atlantic City after Tim Sylvia knocked out Rico Rodriguez. Literally, it was me, Stephen A. Smith, and Tim Sylvia. He's been around the sport for a long time, so he's got a lot of opinions about it, and they're informed in certain ways. So, like, I, I, I think whatever he says, he says, and he should be free to say it. And you know, ESPN shouldn't hold him accountable unless he's like saying something that's defamation, obviously, or untrue. Uh, his opinion is an untrue; it's his opinion, and the UFC should certainly have no role in saying how journalists at ESPN or personalities at ESPN should speak or say or whatever they can do. I, I disagree with that initial point. So this is this is what I just say. It's a man who's got a big voice who made an offhand comment, apparently in an interview, an aside. And if people want to be outraged by something like that, man, I don't know. I don't get it. There's no, what's the point? Even if you put the headline up, I have no problem with it being a story. Like Stephen A. Smith said this, it's a story, fine. But just take it in and understand that's who, that's who the man is. And next time they put him on a UFC broadcast, understand who's talking to you and you can feel more informed. That's the only way I would say to sort of understand why this might be a story and people need to internalize it or think about it in any kind of way. People are well informed already about Stephen Smith. He is a, uh, uh, he is a brand. He is a, uh, a hot, like his name is a signifier of certain things for it's in particular for the MMA crowd, given his history. And when I talk about making a statement from the UFC, what I'm not talking about like statement. What's that? The McGregor statement was the history or what was the history? Oh, yeah. McGregor. Take, take your. I mean, look, he's been known. He, he's known to, to, to a lot of the casuals. I mean, he is just generally that's his brand. This is what he's been doing. So he's for a, a guy long with time. bad MMA opinions. Like he's a bad he's a guy with bad MMA. It's like Stephen A. Smith has bad MMA opinions. Like, so, right. OK, he's, he's that guy. Right. Yeah. right. The, the point. Yeah. But the point is, when you mix that with like, you know, things that are, are bases, uh, opinions about the role of sexes and like sexism and things that are linked a lot of times linked to those things, you know, of course he's going to have a reaction. When I talk about a statement from the UFC, I'm not talking about like, we condemn this. And if I said that before, you know, I'd like to amend that. I'm this is an easy layup and like, look, we celebrate what these people do. We think women's MMA is great. And we, and we as a uh, organization choose to promote these people to choose, choose to promote women. Sorry. 
um, effective, effective it's an amazing part of the story. It's an amazing part of the sport. And that this is who we are as a promotion. You don't say this is not who we're not. This You say this is who we are. That's the layup there for me. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty much all I had to say. Fair enough. And well, we've come we'll to understanding. If... Isn't this great? Yes. We're Isn't that nice? there first, but now we're, now we're cool. I had to lay out. Uh, I hope Stephen A. does one of those silly Twitter videos responding to all of this because I think this actually has gotten more momentum than the Cerrone comments at this point. I hope Every not. woman in the UFC. I just want to hear what he has to say and how he can actually stand by all of this. But uh, I want to hear more, gentlemen. I want to hear more. Not about Stephen A. Smith, but in general. So the point for round four goes to... Rigged. <laughs> 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 Stephen Morocco. Well, I mean, just just put his heart out for everybody to uh, just, just put his heart out there, heart on his sleeve. All, all of Gross's opinions have been, "I don't care. Let's move on." That's basically <laughs> that's not even told this. Like, let's let's go space space. Not even uh, all right. But I just went. Listen, it's it's my show, but not anymore. Now I get to turn it over to everybody else. But uh, I just want to hear more. I'm selfish. But it's time for the knockout round. One question decides it all. Neither of these tremendous competitors have any idea what this question is, and they'll each have 60 seconds to give their answer. And then we will turn it over to the judge, the jury, the executive producer, E. Casey Lydon, with the help of all the viewers, and he will render the final decision. Steven, since you are the champion, it is your prerogative. Would you like to answer this question first or pass it on over to Josh? I'm going to give it to the OG. All right. Different strategy from last week. Let's see how it pays off. All right, Josh. So as we have all seen this week, the Professional Fighters League has released some of their rosters for the upcoming season that kicks off on April 23rd. We've seen featherweight. We've seen lightweight, welterweight, and light heavyweight rosters revealed. There's still a few more spots to plug in. But overall, since 2020 was a bust in terms of in-cage action, the PFL has been making some noise with their acquisitions, signing the likes of Rory McDonald, Anthony Pettis, Fabricio Verdum, even Clarissa Shields, Brennan Lochnane in 2019. They've added some good talent along the way. So after a year away, having to play some catch up with their unique format, Josh, I'm curious your opinion on what the PFL needs to do moving forward to make this upcoming season as successful and as interesting as possible. How much work do they have to do to get back to where they were at the end of 2018. So one minute on the clock and your time starts now. Uh, first point, hold events. That would be the first <laughs> thing I would say. Promote events. So they have them on the calendar and they're starting in April. And so that's good. That's a good place to start. Uh, I think uh, no one really missed PFL in 2020. I, you know, I don't. I didn't see a lot of chatter about the missing it, but I think its reintroduction to mixed martial arts is a very good thing. Certainly for fight fans, for the fighters who are been sort of on the you know waiting block here. That you know they got paid a little bit of money, but it wasn't enough. I did a story for Sherdog where I talked about Shaman Marias, you know, doing uh, Amazon deliveries and Uber Eats. And, you know, a lot of these fighters were not as lucky as some of them. Uh, we remember the whole Lance Palmer nonsense with the lawsuit. All of that 2020 disasters behind uh, PFL now as they look to 2021. And I, I think the fighter rosters have shaped up nicely. Some of the acquisitions work. So a good opportunity for PFL now coming up. All right. 
Steven, same question. You're the, uh, so, so you're the commissioner of the PFL. All right. How do we make this thing as successful as it can be? How do we surpass the 2018 season? Because 2019 kind of a bust, but 2018 at the end of it, it was kind of a breath of fresh air in a lot of people's opinion. So one minute on the clock, how do we make PFL as interesting and as successful as possible in 2021 and go stay in business. Um, watch your margins. That's the main thing that I think about for PFL. Just sticking around is an accomplishment in this sport. Um, when you have such a concentration of talent and star power in one direction, which may actually be changing, possibly, depending on the outcome of a certain lawsuit uh, and the, the potential adding of the uh, of a certain sport to the Ollie Act. Um, but for now, stay in business. Watch your margins. You don't have to sign every single big free agent that comes out. Um, and generally, um, capitalize on the moments that you get. When you do have those moments, capitalize on them. They did a great job this past year of diversifying their talent structure. They're no longer just relying on one manager for 70% of the talent. So capitalize on that. Do different matchups, you know, get more diversity of, of skill sets being on display and just keep doing what you're doing. That's pretty much it. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff. Minute is off the clock. Ladies and gentlemen watching right now, let Casey know what you think in terms of how you, the viewers, scored this final round while we let those votes come in. I know we're a little bit uh, on a delay from how we're talking. Just a quick reminder of what to expect this weekend from us here on MMA Fighting. Of course, we'll have your knuckle mania results and coverage tomorrow night, P uh, Paige Van Zandt's debut, etc. So be on the lookout for that. We'll have our UFC Vegas 18 preview show tomorrow as well. We'll be back with the live pre-fight show 30 minutes before the prelims start on Saturday. We'll answer all of your questions, chat with all of you, and then the night of the fights will happen, and we will recap it all on the post-fight show, and then AK and I will be back for on to the next one on Sunday. Yes, Josh? Is it actually Knuckle Mania? Is that for real? That's for real. That's amazing. I didn't. I had no idea. <laughs> is that does that bring you up to a two, Josh? Does that bring you up to a two? No, 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 no. But I'm. It's still amazing. Yeah. Okay. It's a, uh, Super Bowl weekend, Knuckle Mania. There we go. But uh, listen, what I'm trying to say is we have you covered with all the coverage this weekend. But we now turn it over to the Honorable Judge Casey Lydon for the final decision. Casey, hopefully you were caught up in the chat. The votes have been flying in. How do you rule? First of all, a great debut from the OG, Josh Groth. It's great having him on the show. Whew. I'm still thinking about Polly Maginagi. <laughs> <laughs> I corrected myself, you jerk. <laughs> Yeah. 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 Okay. All at right. Least, all right. At least, at least I didn't forget that somebody died. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Still crapping on Josh. I mean, still crapping on um, Jed. I like that. I like that. Forever, I didn't do it. Yeah, no, not you. Not you, Josh. Okay. okay. All right. Here we go. Here we go. Your winner. And new. Mr. Josh Gross. Oh. oh, we have a new champion. We have a new Good champion. Lord. Josh Gross, the OG. Good Lord. Gets the strap, gets the confetti. 
What about? I don't know if I verbally cold talked to Stephen, but I sure won. That's good. <laughs> it was 48 47. Mm-hmm. It wins a win, my man. I don't care. I'll take it. Congrats. You, de- you deserve it. Thank All you. right, Josh, you. since you've never watched the show, you don't get money or a championship belt, but you get 30 seconds to talk about whatever it is you want to talk about good, bad, indifferent in MMA. If you have a call out, you want to call somebody out to join you on the program for a future title defense, the floor is yours. With your 30 seconds, whatever you want to say, go right ahead. How often do I have to defend this title? Is there a champion's clause? Like, what do I have to do with this thing? Tell me, tell me, like in 30 seconds. But In a um, perfect world, yeah. In a yeah, perfect right, world, you would come back next week and go again. Yeah, all right. Uh, here, here's the thing. If you haven't read uh, Jacob Debit's series on an amazing moment in MMA history, the, the introduction of No Holds Barred fighting to Australia by a fake UFC this was in 1997. Go to SureDog.com and read the series. It's a five-part series. I edited it, and uh, I happen to think he did a great job. So please check that out. Thank you, Mike, and everybody for having me on. Stephen, for the call out. You are a, a gracious loser and, and a good friend. Thank you very much. There you go. Stephen, your thoughts on the decision here? Uh, I wholeheartedly disagree with it. I think it was wrongheaded. <laughs> and um, uh, seriously, I mean, uh, what's up with BTL judging? I think I should do uh, a story on that. Um, <laughs> other than that, uh, I appreciate Josh coming on the show. Uh, I appreciate his OG perspective and his uh, curmudgeonly, uh, uh, entirely negative, well, often negative outlook on the sport. It's a definite fresh uh, breath of fresh air off in this in this world that we live in these days. Um, <sighs> so. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing how you defend the belt. And actually, if you will defend the belt next week, uh, let's be frank, it is a weekly commitment. So, um, yeah, I got to figure out if I got space in the calendar. I'll let you know. I'll, if I if I do defend the belt, you, you you get a rematch. I'll just give you that. You get a rematch. Lots, so. lots of asses to whoop. I will say that. Lots of asses. Yeah. To whoop. Well, I want to do yours again and then we'll move on. So that's, you know, that's how we'll work it. All right. Perfect. All right. Well, stay stay tuned. Maybe we get a rematch. Maybe we get a, an interim title fight. We'll see what happens. What but, you, uh, like Dana White determined to I fight? This is not how it works. I want I want Morocco <laughs> net. Otherwise, I'm not defending this title. That's that's how that's how it's happening. So, you know, we'll see. Well, how I mean, let's. I agree with you, but if you can't come on next week, then we have to figure something else out. Maybe a number I'll, one contenders I'll, matchup. How about that? I'll make the time. I'll make the time. Fine. Okay. All right. You're not going to get stripped either way. But listen, we are getting out of here. Thank you all for watching. Big shout out to Casey on the production and for the judging. And of course, the iconic voice of Esther Lynn takes you out of here. We'll see you next week right here on Between the Links. Good night, everybody. This has been Between the Links, an MMA fighting production on the Vox Media Network. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. 
This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the US, so make sure you don't miss it.